CSN International presents To Every Man an Answer, the live apologetics program that equips you to give a reason for the hope that lies within you. If you have a Bible question or a question on the Christian faith, you can call us at 1-888-827-5276. Again, that's 1-888-88-ASK-CSN. Let's get things started. Here's today's host, Mike Kessler. Hi, and welcome to Wednesday's edition of To Every Man and Answer. So glad you've joined us, as we always are. Looking forward to being with you for about the next hour, answering questions about the Bible from the Bible, looking at current events through a biblical perspective, and also what we hear in church. Is it even in the Bible at all? And so if you've got a question you'd like to ask us, or if you've been reading your Bible on your own, come across something you don't understand, someone's asked you a question, call us, 8888-ASK-CSN. We'll do our very best to answer the question for you. Now, before we get into today's guest and all, this Sunday at the Puna Baptist Church in Pahoa, Hawaii, on the Big Island, I'll be sharing there. Look forward to meeting with all of you. I think it'll be a great time, and uh, we just want to once again uh, invite you to bring your friend, and we're going to have a good time understanding how valuable you are to God. And so if you'd like to come and visit, starts at 1030 again at the Puna Baptist Church in Pahoa on Kapoa Road. There in Pahoa at 10.30. Look forward to seeing you. Joining me today, special guest, featured CSN speaker, comes on after to every man and answer, Jeff Wickwire from Turning Point Church, Fort Worth, Texas. Hi, and welcome. Hey, Mike. Good to be with you today. Looking forward to a great show. Good to see you cross-pollinating with other denominations and going to a Baptist church. That's great. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I went to the Baptist church for many years, and so I... I uh, appreciate my brother in there and look forward to uh, answering some questions with them in the afternoon and then uh, uh, looking God words in the morning time. So it'll be a good time. It is going to be a Bible question and answer format. Yeah, after we're going to have, I guess, uh, lunch and then afterwards uh, kind of a potluck. And then afterwards, we're going to get back together again and answer some questions. So it should be a really good time. Look forward to uh, being with everybody there. Again, the number 88. 88 ask CSN is the number to call and uh, we got some lines open so if you'd like to be part of the program we just want to encourage you to give us a call again 8888 ask CSN well let's go ahead and go to the phones we have Paul on the line Granbury Texas hi and welcome thank you gentlemen uh, you guys are bright lights in a dark world these days wow My question is that when I am praying to our Heavenly Father, of course, I go through Jesus. And that's the question that I have regarding that when I'm praying, I pray to Jesus. I mention him by name. Jesus, help me with this. Jesus, uh, thank you. And then I find myself saying in Jesus' name, (laughs) I pray to your father, and I just really don't know what is, if you will, what is the protocol when? Well, praying? Jesus I mean, said, I'm, when you I, pray, pray in this manner. He said, our, our, pray like this. This is the blueprint. Our Father, which art in heaven. Now, this prayer that Jesus gave was not meant to be mindlessly repeated. Go say uh, 25, our fathers. Our Father, which art in heaven, I'll be thine. Our Father, which art in heaven, I'll be thine. And somehow they think, as Jesus said, they're going to be heard for their much speaking. That is mindless rhetoric. We're to address our Father in heaven 
like he's our dad. If my children came to me and said, Daddy, would you please buy me a bicycle? Well, Dad, would you buy me a bicycle? Daddy, would you please buy me a bicycle? I'd say, what mm-hmm. is wrong with you? Now, again, it is a design. It's a blueprint. Our Father, which is in heaven, he sees everything from a different perspective. He's got a heavenly view. And we understand how important it is to understand that our daily sustenance comes from him. Give us this day our daily bread. How we need to be able to forgive one another when they've sinned against us. We we need to be reminded of our of our eternal home for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. All these things are all elements of that blueprint when we pray. And we pray to the Father in Jesus' name. Now, is it wrong to pray to Jesus? No. And we find this in Revelation chapter 22, where John is praying, and he says, Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Your thoughts, Jeff? Yeah, and praying in Jesus' name, uh, you know, it's not like a magic formula. It's not a guarantee that whatever you ask for, you're going to get it because you prayed in Jesus' name. Uh, because John makes it very clear in First John that uh, we are to pray according to his will. And if we know that we have asked according to his will, then we know we have what we have petitioned him for. So uh, he adds that, and it's very important that he added that, because, for instance, in Mark, uh, Mark's Gospel, chapter 13, uh, you know, there is Jesus saying, whatever you ask, go ahead and ask anything, whatever you ask, it'll be yours. And uh, so people take that and run with it. But John adds that little addendum that is so crucial because if we don't pray according to God's will, then you can pray in Jesus' name all day and it's not going to bring an answer, uh, the answer that you want. Uh, We need to pray with wisdom. Uh, You find out God's will by spending a whole lot of time in the Word of God. And um, the more you understand His, His Word, where His will is revealed, you know, Peter said, we literally become partakers of the divine nature through the, the great and precious promises. And uh, so part of that is we know what God has promised in the Bible. Uh, for instance, make it simple. Anybody who calls on the name of the Lord is going to be saved because that's the promise of the Bible. If we call on Jesus Christ, the Son of God, to save us, forgive our sins, and uh, turn to him as our Savior and Lord by faith, then we're saved. It's a guarantee because God promised it. So immediately, based on that one promise, you become a partaker of the divine nature when you're born again. And so, very important. But now Jesus did say in John 14, 13, and verse 14, and I will do whatever you ask in my name. I will do whatever you ask in my name. So the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask for uh, ask me for anything in my name. Now notice he said, you may ask me for anything in my name. Isn't that interesting? So you're talking to Jesus, and you're asking in his name, in this verse, and I will do it. And so there's a promise. You know, you can go to the Father, as Mike was saying in the, in the Lord's Prayer, it begins, our Father, who art in heaven, and Jesus told his disciples to pray that way. So there you're addressing God directly, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. But here in this verse, Jesus says, you can ask me for anything in my name. Well, what does he mean there? Well, he means you're coming to to God, the Father, or to him in the authority of his name, because his name is higher than any other name. It's the name above all names. It's the only name that hell dreads 
and heaven loves. It, it's uh, the name of Jesus. There is, as we always say, there's power in that name because you're you're praying with the authority that that name uh, carries. And so, just with those verses, what Mike brought up and the Lord's Prayer, and then this one, clearly Scripture lets us know that we can go to the Father directly in Jesus' name, or we can even go to Jesus in Jesus' name with the authority of his name, and he hears us. He says, and then uh, if we know that he hears us, then we know that we have what we've requested of him. So uh, it's, it shouldn't be complicated. It shouldn't be something that um, you know we get twisted into a pretzel about. There's times I will honestly say, God help me, Lord help me, or Jesus help me. And I believe with every one of those, he hears me because I'm his child. So again, mm-hmm. I don't think we're to, you know, parse it to death. I just think that it's uh it's pretty simple the way God has laid it out. And if you're his child, he hears you, Mike. Amen. It's not a formula. And again, I think that's what m- the main thing is. We are his children, he's our father. It is not a, a formula to come to your dad whereby we cry, Abba, Father Paul says, we crawl up in his lap and just tell him what's on our heart. And I think that is what's important. And, you know, just as you said, Jeff, I've been scooting down the road before in Idaho on an icy day uh, (laughs) as the car flips around, and I don't go through a lot of formalities. I just go, oh, Jesus. Yeah, Jesus, (laughs) help me. And he knows exactly what I mean. So hope that helps, Paul. Amen and crystal clear. One quick follow-up, if I may. Yes. And that is, uh, to every man an answer, obviously, is the name of your program. Is that taken from Scripture? Yes, it is. Uh, out, out of Acts, that we would be able to give to every man an answer according to our faith in him. So, hope that helps. It does. Thank you, friends. God bless you. Thanks so much for the question. Let's go uh, stay online if you like. Send you out a couple of DVDs we've got. I think you'll enjoy those. A little book called Time to Grow. Let's go to Dan, La Quinta, California. Hi, welcome. Welcome. Thank you. I, I'm really usually a digger, but I got this thought yesterday and thought I'd just ask you guys. Can you maybe put together the connection between um, to be absent from the bodies, be present with the Lord, and then that the dead in Christ shall rise? How do those fit together? Well, the dead in Christ are those that have died in faith in times past. Their bodies are in the cemeteries. You can go by any any mortuary or cemetery, and you'll see all the crosses out there, the headstones, the uh, nameplates, all those things. It's their body. To be absent from the body, present with the Lord, that's speaking about a person's spirit. And very clearly, Jesus taught this. Old Testament and New, it's there. When Jarius' daughter had died, They said, don't trouble the master. She's already dead. Jesus said, let's go to the house anyway. They went. The mourners were already there. Jesus said, she's only sleeping. Of course, he was speaking about her body. And we find this farther because when Jesus said, daughter, arise, the Bible says her spirit returned to her. It does not say her spirit woke up in her. Same that we find in the Old Testament, 1 Kings, Elijah, raising a little boy back to life. He says there, He said that uh, he prayed and his spirit returned to him. Very important. Does not say it woke up. Soul sleep is not in the Bible. This is not something that we find except possibly during the millennial reign of Christ. This is where the Bible says they live not again until a thousand years are up. 
Uh, in other words, a person that's a believer during the millennial reign, let's say dies, and he dies and then pops back out and all of a sudden he's ruling and reigning with Christ. That is not what the Bible teaches. And I believe this is why the books are searched at the end of the thousand-year reign, whose names are written in the book of life. Those that are enter into eternal life, like all of us that have already lived, and uh, also uh, those that are not believers from the beginning of time, they'll be judged for the full fruition of their works, and uh, they'll be punished eternally for their for their behavior. So, very important to understand that. But um, uh, again, we uh, when we die, we instantly go with uh, to be with the Lord. Your thoughts? Yeah, Dan. I see your question is um, about why does. Why do the dead rise first before those that are alive and remain on the earth at the rapture? Um, I don't see an answer to that in the Bible unless God wants to give those that are already dead a head start. I, I don't really know why else. But one way I like to picture uh, the soul and the body being separated is just a simple illustration of a hand wearing a glove, okay? Uh, just So just picture a hand with a glove, winter glove, the, the glove represents your body. The hand represents the soul. As long as the hand is in the glove, the, the glove is animated. It moves. It has life because the hand is in it. But when the hand leaves it, which is what happens with a Christian's uh, soul when their body dies, then look at it this way. The hand goes up into the presence of the Lord, and the glove goes down into the grave. When the rapture happens... Uh, the glove is brought out of the grave, and and somewhere on the way up, the the uh, hand is rejoined to the glove, and um, so there you are complete again. But until the catching up of the saints, then the soul is in heaven with Christ, absence from the body, present with the Lord, not by in our bodies, but with our souls or our spirits. And the glove or the body is in the grave. When the rapture happens by the miracle power of God, that glove comes out. And there's going to be a emptying of cemeteries and graveyards all over the world in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the sound of the last trumpet. Uh, in a moment, the word is atomos, a moment of time so fast you can't split it. In a blink, in a camera flash, even faster than that, the glove comes out of the grave. And immediately is transformed and given a glorified body, just like Jesus' body was when he arose from the dead that first Easter morn. Uh, he had a glorified body. We will have the same thing. He was the first fruits. We are the ones that follow. And so uh, that's the way I always like to look at it. It's the way I teach my congregation. It's, it's an easy way to look at it. And uh, so if you or I were to uh, passed from this world today, our soul would immediately go up in the presence of the Lord, that being the hand. Our bodies would be buried or cremated or whatever. And when the rapture happens, then uh, the body comes out of the grave. Even if it's just ashes, God brings it all back together into a glorified body. And it is joined back joined with the hand uh, somewhere on the way up. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Yeah, and the, I, I believe what it talks about the dead in Christ rise first. I believe as that call comes, uh, they're going to rise. They're in the ground. They come up. Then we join them, and we all get raptured together. 
And uh, this is where this is where I believe the um, God has the DNA of every person that's ever lived. He can reconstruct anyone uh, because he knows all things. But we will be raised incorruptible. Those that have died, and then in a moment, twinkling him and I will be changed. Now, somebody asked the question one time, well, what about where the Bible says it's appointed in man once to die and after that, the judgment? I believe that was fulfilled for us as believers, not in the Old Testament, for us as believers, when we died to ourselves, accepted Christ as our Savior. And I believe not only does God make a, a an exception for us, but really, uh, that's why it's important to die to yourself today. You know, uh, you know, what are you doing that's so important? You can't be doing something for God. So, uh, I hope that helps, Dan. All right. Thank you. Well, God bless you and stay online if you like, send you out some, some DVDs. I think you'll enjoy. And with that, we'll go to Aaron in Boise, Idaho. I welcome. Hey, God bless you, brothers. Uh, how are you? Good. How may we help? Good. So um, I'm actually, so I, I have a coworker. He, he works with me at my job um, and he's actually a oneness Pentecostal. And mm-hmm. today we were having a conversation um, on who the real deity of our God is. Right. And I obviously believe in the Trinity, the father, son, Holy spirit, uh, three persons and one being. Right. Um, and he was going on and on about how um, Jesus, when he was resurrected, he left his uh, fleshly body here and his, and his spirit was the only thing that went to heaven. And I, I don't believe that's true because I, I know that in the Bible, it says that when Thomas saw the Lord Jesus, um, he first didn't believe, but then Jesus told him, "Hey, look, look at my hands, you know, and put your finger here on my in my side." Absolutely, that was Je- that was Jesus's body, and so I that kind of contradicts what he was saying, you know. And I just kind of wanted to see if you can kind of talk a little bit on that, and and then what are your thoughts on that? Well, there's a lot of problems with modalism, and that's what it is. You just everything just gets put into the same thing. There's no heavenly Father, there's no Holy Spirit. It's just Jesus only. That is not what the Bible teaches any way, shape, or form. Whether you're looking at Genesis 1-1 or whether you're looking all the way through the New Testament, you do not find that it's just Jesus only. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. It's very interesting that uh, we are also a triune being. We're a body, we're a mind, and we're a spirit. God says the day you eat of the tree is the day you surely die. When they ate of the tree, they didn't fall down dead. But their spirit died. That's why Jesus said in John 3, marvel not that I say to you, you must be born again. You must be born of the spirit. The spirit's dead in man. That's why man has no power over his own sin. So when we look at this, we realize several things. In 1 John 2, 22, and this is something you can show him, it says, he that denies the father and the son hath the spirit of Antichrist. Very, very severe warning from John, the beloved disciple. That's 1 John 2, 22. He that denies the Father and the Son hath the spirit of Antichrist. We find when Jesus was baptized, he goes under the water, comes out. This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. A voice from heaven, it says. 
Then the Holy Spirit descended on him as the form of a dove. Now, Jesus, was he being a ventriloquist and bouncing his voice off a cloud? It's my little son. Who am I well putting? Oh, wow. You know, it was the three that were there together bearing witness of who Jesus was and his earthly ministry. So when you understand this idea of Jesus only, uh, that there is no heavenly father, there is no Holy Spirit, that is, that is foreign. That's another Jesus than the Bible speaks of. And just as you said concerning, uh, that Jesus's spirit just was resurrected. No, his body was too. And, uh, it's interesting that most likely he'll still have that same beat bruised body when he takes the scroll in heaven because it says out of the crowd, John wept. There was no one worthy to take the scroll. I believe that's the title deed of the earth. And he wept bitterly because no one in heaven or earth could open it. And then one stepped out of the crowd like a lamb that had been slain and takes the scroll. I believe we're all going to get to see someday what Jesus went through so that we could go to heaven. I believe those marks are still in his body to this day. They're in heaven to demonstrate to all of us the beauty is not on the inside, not on the outside, but on the inside of what God has done. Your thoughts? Yeah, Mike, not much I can add to that. Um, the, when it says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, the word God there in the Hebrew is Elohim, which is plural. So right off the bat in the Bible's first verse, you've got God presented as a plural, not a singular. And uh, as you pointed out, Mike, at the baptism of Jesus, that pretty well seals it for me. All three members of the Godhead were there manifesting. You know, a voice of God speaking, Holy Spirit descending upon him, and God the Son himself coming up out of the baptismal waters. So, um, you know, modalism is a false teaching, always has been. Uh, Modalism meaning that God manifests or in three modes, not three personalities, distinct personalities, which those of us who believe in the Trinity believe. There is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. And it's very clear in Scripture so uh, it's always kind of baffled me how people come up with the Jesus only because there's so many uh, proof texts uh, showing otherwise. But anyway, that's that's what it is, and hope that helps, Aaron. Yeah, Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father doing. Uh, if there's no Heavenly Father, then Jesus was lying to us. So, uh, and I know Jesus doesn't lie, and I know men distort Scripture, so I've got to say that that belief system is a really bad distortion. And again, look at the severity of it. You can show him this. Go to 1 John 2.22. He that denies the Father and the Son hath the Spirit of Antichrist. Very clear in the Greek, it's speaking of two separate entities in that particular verse. Now, we also go to chapter 5 of Acts. And Peter says, it's not that you uh, that, that you lied to men, but you lied to God. And then it talks about the, he lied to the Holy Spirit. So we find there, again, this claim that the Holy Spirit is God. It didn't say you lied to Jesus. It doesn't say that. So, again, when you look at all. But this is the way that almost all cults work. They take only the verses that support a very poor theology and disregard all the ones that correct that thought pattern, so to bring you in to the fullness and the truth of God's Word. Hope that helps, Austin, Aaron. 
Yes, yes, guys. And, and one, one more thing real quick, if I may. Um, another thing he was telling me is that, um, which I don't believe this, but this is like you were saying, they're, they're part of the cult that they're in. They, they believe this way, that if you don't speak in tongues, you're not baptized by the Holy Spirit. And that, Okay, and great. That well, now take true. them to—yeah, you take them to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. In the last few verses there, Paul says— do all pray in tongues? Do all have the gift of healings? Whenever a question is written in the Greek in the negative, the answer is always negative. Now you say, well, what does that mean? You would look at your children and say, do you want me to spank you? Oh, yes, very much so. No, of course, the answer is no from them. When you ask a question with a negative spin, the answer is always negative. He says, he says, uh, do all pray in tongues? No. Paul says, and he goes on farther in chapter 14, and he says, do all, he says, I wish you all prayed in tongues. Well, I do too, and I wish all Christians had a million dollars, but it's very obvious they don't, and it's very obvious that in the early church, not everybody prayed in tongues either. So the idea of this is very, very poor theology, because Paul clearly says, if you don't have the gift of tongues, you'll have one of the other gifts. And it's really amazing to me how they center on just the one gift of the many gifts of the Holy Spirit, listed there in chapter 12 and other places in the Scripture, um, and to say, well, unless you can pray in tongues, um, you're not even saved. Well, that's not what the Bible says. In very fact, very clearly, when we look at Acts 8, when there was a lot of believers who had accepted Christ, who had been baptized, yet the Holy Spirit had not fallen upon any of them. So, uh, by the way, we don't find Paul at the time that he was filled with the Spirit, spoke in tongues. Now, later on, it says that he did. But at that time, uh, it says something like scales fell off his eyes. So, uh, I think we have to be very careful when we start adding to God's Word, and that's exactly what they do. And I hope that helps, Aaron. It does, brothers. Thank you guys so much. Yeah, yeah, Jeff, you got any last last thoughts on that? No, that about covers it. It's a really great question, Aaron. And uh, uh, you know, you're standing on solid ground if you stand with the Trinity, because that's clearly what Scripture teaches. And so, uh, again, in going back to Genesis one, let us make man in our image. Genesis one one says, "In the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth." That is speaking in the Hebrew of a plurality of God actually a, a triunity of God uh, there. And so uh, whether you're looking at Genesis 1-1 or uh, all the way to the end, we find that Jesus Christ is not only Lord, but part of this beautiful love relationship of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Stay in the line, Aaron. We'll send you out books and DVDs coming up on a break. We'll have more right after this. We'll be right back. If you are 65 or older, you know this. Watching your hard-earned dollars fly out the window on health care costs is frustrating. Well, here's something that can really help, and it's worth taking a minute to look into. MediShare 65 Plus. MediShare is a community of Christians who share each other's health care bills 
And it really is a community too. People encourage and pray for each other. Well, MediShare 65 Plus is a low-cost option for those with Medicare Parts A and B, and it fills in the gaps where Medicare stops. It's a great way to fight inflation too. You can lock in one low monthly price for up to 10 years. And it's easy. You can use any Medicare-approved doctor or get 24-7 telehealth access from the comfort of your home. Very worth looking into during Medicare open enrollment, which ends December 7th. If you join right now, your second month share will be free. So don't miss this chance. Call 833-90-SHARE. That's 833-90-SHARE. 833-90-SHARE. In 2007, when Dan Steiner, president of Preborn, cried out to God, what can I do for you? The answer came loud and clear. I sense God's broken heart over the issue of abortion. You see, he sees every little baby that's being formed in the mother's womb, and it breaks his heart to see when the lifetime that he has planned for them is taken from them violently so often. But if we can get a mom into one of our clinics and show her her baby, and she has that uh, close encounter of the best kind in her womb, she will choose life. Preborn Network of Clinics have rescued over 200,000 babies from abortion. To learn more about the life-saving work of Preborn, call 855-668-BABY. That's 855-668-BABY. Or visit preborn.com. That's preborn.com. All gifts are tax-deductible. Your love can save a life. Part two of To Every Minute Answer here on this Wednesday afternoon with Jeff Wickwire from Turning Point Church in Fort Worth, Texas. And uh, we're going to go right back to the phones. We have Carol on the line, Oklahoma City. Hi, welcome. Hi. Hi there. Thank you so much for what you do. I I have um, something that's come up in this last week. My sister is, a, um, she, she reads a lot of different versions of the Bible and she kind of digs deep, but I think she's she's really lost it. She thinks that, um, and and I think in a way she's probably correct, but not completely correct, that the Bible has been um, corrupted over the ages. And she uses um, she uses two verses as an example, and that would be Second Samuel twenty four one and First Chronicles twenty one one, and. Basically, um, one says that again uh, in Second Samuel twenty four one it says again the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel, and He moved David against them to say go number Israel and Judah. Whereas in First Chronicles twenty one one it says now Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel, and so she says that there's inconsistencies in the Bible and. I don't even know how to answer her regarding this. Okay, your thoughts, Jeff. Well, those two examples, Second uh, Samuel and First Chronicles, uh, it's just from two different viewpoints. You know, we know from the book of Job, Satan doesn't move a hoof unless God lets him. Uh, you know, he had to go to God and say, you know, what about your servant Job? And, and um, blah, blah, blah. You know, if you do this and that, then he'll renounce you. 
And then God allowed him, God gave him permission to attack Job. So to my view, you, you look at those two different instances. Well, who did it? Did Satan move David or did God move David? Well, both. God clearly allowed Satan to um, move David and uh, to number Israel. So to me, that explains that, you know, when you deal with like uh, 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Chronicles, you often see what initially looks like a discrepancy. But if you dig and if you really look at it and do a little bit of research, you'll find that sometimes it's just from a different vantage point. And I think the vantage point in those two examples is one was the vantage point of God and the other one was the vantage point of the devil. But God clearly allowed the devil to attack or to tempt David and move David that way. Now, there are a lot of people that say there are discrepancies and, you know, the the different versions uh, over the years have been corrupted. But what I tell people, it's really important that you take the New Testament. The New Testament is the most attested uh, ancient manuscript in all of worldly literature. There is nothing, uh, no manuscript, no book, uh, nothing from the ancient times uh, that has been more validated in the Bible. Quickly, I'll give you a couple of examples. If you were to say to a college professor, do you believe we really have the writings of Homer? Do you really believe we do? Did Homer write the Iliad and the Odyssey? Oh, sure, he would say, of course it's Homer. But here's the thing. We, We have no, from ancient times, we have no original manuscripts. We have nothing original from Homer or Caesar or Plato or the Roman historian Tacitus, uh, none of those, or the New Testament. We don't have any of the original papyri manuscripts where uh, when they were written on for the very first time, we've still got it. But we do have copies, uh, and then we have copies of copies of copies. Now, this is very, this has always been so telling to me. Take Caesar. With Caesar, who, again, any college prof would tell you, oh, yeah, we got the writings of Caesar, but we only have 10 extant manuscripts today. We only have 10. And there is a 800-year gap between uh, the earliest one and the writing of the writings of Caesar. In other words, Caesar writes it, 800, the earliest manuscript of what he wrote that we have is 800 years after he wrote it. You come down to Homer. I mentioned Homer. All right, Homer wrote in 900 B.C. But the earliest manuscript copy that we have of that is 500 years old. And there's only 643 existing manuscripts of Homer. Now, this is important because that's the most attested uh, ancient document next to the New Testament that I know anything about is Homer. So, Homer, there's 643 uh, at least fragments of what he wrote that we have today. Copies of copies of copies of copies. But when it comes to the New Testament, 24,000 fragments of the New Testament. And the earliest one is that we have, in other words, the one closest to when it was originally written, 96 A.D. So we've got fragments from the New Testament writings, not even a century old. And we've got 24 
thousand fragments when the closest to that is Homer and 643. So if, if somebody wants to say, well, hey, you know, the New Testament, that's been changed and rearranged and all the copyists have corrupted it. You don't have what was originally written. Here's the miracle. You can take the latest fragments that we have and then the oldest fragments that we have all the way back to 96 AD and they agree. They agree. They don't contradict each other. They agree. There was this marvelous, amazing, the copyists, uh, and then the more, the next copyists, and then the next copyists down through the centuries, very faithfully copied what was originally written. So when you hold the New Testament, for instance, in your hands, you're holding the most attested to, faithfully carried down through the ages, ancient document in all of worldly literature. And that's amazing to me. And that's just like God shouting to all of us, uh, you know, you can trust my Bible. You can trust the Word of God. If you think you can trust Homer, you think you can trust Thucydides, Caesar, Plato, then a thousand times more, you can trust that you've got what was originally written in the New Testament, Mike? Yeah. Now, to go back to your the, the question you had about this, um, there, it, it is just simply reading it, uh, will, will uncover this issue that your sister has with these two verses. Second Samuel 24, one says, again, the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel, comma, and he moved David against them to say, go number Israel. The question is, who is he? Is it speaking of the Lord there? Or is that revealed to us when we get to First Chronicles 21.1, when Satan is the one that went out? Now, something interesting to notice. If you go to a King James Bible, not a new King James even, an old King James Bible, the word he in Second Samuel 24.1 is not capitalized. In the original language, it does not speak of God being the one that did that. It says he with a small h. Why? Because Satan doesn't have the right to capitals. But the point is, is that the he is clearly identified when we get up to, uh, when we get up to, um, first chronicles that the he was Satan. It never says, and the Lord God moved David against them. It does not say that. And this is a mistake that people read by just simply lightly reading and trying to say, well, see, the Bible's got contradictions in it. No, no, it doesn't. As a matter of fact, it is amazingly clear the Lord is the one that was displeased, and Satan is the one that moved David to number Israel. Now, why was that such a sin? Because in numbering Israel, looking how big my army is, you don't need to trust God. Look how big and powerful you are. That is all about what this passage of Scripture is talking about. But tell her if she goes back to a King James Bible, reads Second Samuel 24, you'll notice he, the one that literally moved David to do this, is not capitalized. It's not God. Hope that helps there. It, it is capitalized in the Schofield New, New King James Version, and that's where yeah. I think 
it, it's con, it's confusing. So we have to be super careful that we're good Bereans and that we're looking at all different kinds of um, versions of the Bible because this is very confusing in the in the New King James where he is capitalized. Yes, that's right, and that was a liberty they shouldn't take. In fact, in the New King James as well as almost all these new versions, they take liberties they need to be careful of taking. Um, in the New Testament, uh, in um, in the Gospels, a man comes to Jesus and said, my son is a lunatic. Oftentimes he throws himself into the water and into the fire. I asked your disciples to cast out the demon, and they could not. Now, what is troubling is in the King James in the New King James, it says, my son is an epileptic. What? Epilepsy is a neurological issue. Being moonstruck, as the original language indicates, as in the Greek, moonstruck for the word lunatic, this kid went out and somehow got himself possessed, probably under some full moon uh, uh, in Hawaii. Sometimes they'll have moon dances, and it's sometimes very occultic. And this kid got himself possessed, evidently, uh, by doing so. Now, again, there's a big difference between being moonstruck, very possibly during some kind of an occult practice, and epilepsy. Epilepsy is a neurological problem. I actually saw one of the medical associations quote that verse out of one of the modern translations, and they were making fun of the Bible, saying, well, at one time they thought people that had problems, it was caused by by epilepsy, but we know better now, and they were dissing on the Bible. Well, if they would have got back to the original language, they would have realized it is not talking about epilepsy, it's talking about being moonstruck or lunatic, as the old King James says. So there's a lot of liberties that sometimes these newer versions take that aren't accurate. And again, thank God for the King James Bible when we go back in a strong concordance and we can verify what we're saying and that the old King James is really true. These are some of the problems. Now, something else that's interesting, in the Dead Sea Scrolls, they found these scrolls when a little Bedouin kid was chucking rocks into a cave, heard something sound like a broken vase, went up, check it out, found all these scrolls from uh, this group of people that put them there almost, well, right after the time of Christ. Uh, the book of Isaiah that was found in one of the scrolls date back to 800 B.C. And it wasn't what they found that was so troubling, it's what they didn't find. They didn't find any errors or omissions in what we find in our Bible today, in a King James Bible today. It reads almost exactly word for word. So the idea of someone saying, oh, well, it's been translated too many times. Well, I'm not saying that that um, may not have some merit in that. But if you go back to the original language, you go back, to, as an example, to a King James Bible, you're not going to be able to say that because you can look the words up from the the uh, from uh the original language and see what these words actually meant. I hope that helps, Carol. Oh, that's absolutely wonderful. Thank you. I'm going to make sure that I um I start reading just the King James <laughs> because Well, I, I, I teach thing. listen, I teach out of the New King James. But I've spent enough time in the Old King James when I find something 
that is worded a little weird or a liberty they should not have taken, then I'll simply correct that. Because I realize we don't talk in these and thou's and how art thou and all these kinds of things. So we want it to sound, uh, we want it to come across palatable for the listener. However, we need to be careful of some of these changes that they have made because, yes, they are concerning. It doesn't change the overall that Jesus Christ died for our sins. We are sinners in desperate need of a Savior. That comes through in almost all the new versions. The New World Version, the Jehovah's Witness Bible, has tremendous, tremendous issues and problems and errors in it. And I don't recommend that to anyone. Uh, in fact, they even rewrote the New World Version in 2013 with 10% less words than the the issue uh, of 2012. It's a blasphemous now, thing. Yeah. And, and, and if we live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, and they're willy-nilly going through and subtracting words, well, this wasn't in this particular uh, passage or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and that's not up to you to start willy-nilly taking it out. And that's what they have done. So this is why I reject the Jehovah's Witnesses' New World Version, as well as all of their doctrine, that Jesus is only Michael the Archangel, that he's not God, when the Scripture clearly teaches us, as we're all celebrating this Christmas, and he shall be called, as it says in Matthew chapter 1, he shall be called Emmanuel. And in your Bible, it actually has these words, which translated means God with us. Wow. Such great news. Carol, stay online. Send you out some books, some DVDs. I think you'll enjoy, okay? Thank you. God bless you, Carol. And if you need any more, please call us back. The Bible is full of Jesus Christ being God, that God's word is true, and you can count on it. Let's go to D, St. Louis, Missouri. Hi, Wilk. Hello. Yes, hi. Oh, I'm sorry. I had my phone on mute. Uh, my question was, um, because God is the all-knowing God, and I have three different scenarios, did he know that Eve would bite of the uh, would would bite the apple? Did he know that was going to happen? Did he know about the death between the, uh, the one brother with Cain and Abel? And did he know uh, before it happened with uh, all the babies that are being aborted today? Like, because I know there's always, a, you know, a fight on trying to stop, you know, the abortion and things like that and give mom, you know, give these babies a second chance. But are these things that, that God already knew was going to happen? Yes, he does. In fact, uh, scripture verse for that, you can go to uh, Revelation chapter 1, Revelation chapter 22. It, it says, I am Alpha and Omega, beginning and the end, first and the last. That means God lives in all times present. God does not learn. God knows those who are appointed for salvation in that he knows who would accept him and who would reject him. It doesn't take God by surprise that Eve ate of the tree. It doesn't take God by surprise who will ultimately make it in the end. That's why the Bible talks about those that are predestined are predestined based upon God's all knowledge. Now, just because God has all knowledge of all times present doesn't stop any individual from making the decisions that they make. 
So people may ask the question, well, then why do we go through this zoo we call living if God already knows who's going to make it, who isn't? Why do I got to go to work tomorrow? It's because God also allows us to live in real time and to prove once and for all to all of us. And the Bible says we'll be known in heaven as we're known, that we will understand how we got there, why Jesus Christ died for our sins, why we accepted him as Savior. This process is not for God's learning. It's for ours. Your thoughts? Yeah, and I want to say to uh, D, he, he certainly did know. Peter makes this clear uh, where he says, we're saved with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish. By the way, this is First Peter 1, 19 and 20. Uh, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Verse 20, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world but was manifest in these last times for you. So there, Jesus was foreordained before God spoke anything into existence. There was, you know, God knows everything, the the end from the beginning. And uh, he knew that he would create man, and he knew that man was going to fall. So there was a meeting amongst the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. And Christ, God the Son, uh, apparently stepped forward and said, I will go. I will die for them. Uh, and God decreed it. God the Father. It says he was foreordained before the foundation of the world to spill his precious blood on the cross so that our sins could be forgiven. So that makes it very clear, D, that God did know. And a lot of people have a problem with that. Well, if he knew, then why did he, if he knew man was going to fall, then why did he go forward with it? And I really believe it's because he wanted to create, he did not want to create robots. He did not want to create automatons that would just do exactly what he had programmed them to do. He created human beings with a will, and he moved forward with his plan. And uh, so there's parts of it that are mysterious to me, uh, but I do know this. He was foreordained before the foundations of the world, so that settles whether or not he knew. Amen. I hope that answers it for you, D. That did. I was just getting ready to respond and say, was that where the, the free will, it, maybe it was because of free will. He didn't want us to, but you answered the question. So, yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks thanks a lot for answering Yeah, I, I, when we get to heaven, we'll know why we're there. It isn't that, wow, <laughs> look, I'm, I happen to be in heaven and know oh, those people over there, they're in hell. I wonder how they got there. I don't know. I don't know how I got here. <laughs> I don't know. No, not at all. God allows these things to happen so we know where we came from, where we're going. Why, as the Bible says, as we watch God judge an unrepented world, and all of heaven says, true and righteous are your judgments. I know it's hard for a lot of people to think about the judgments going to fall on the world, uh, but the Bible says, true and righteous are your judgment. We'll begin to see it more like God the closer we get to heaven. Dee, stay online. I'll send you out some books, DVDs, the movie Jesus, based on the book of Luke. I think you'll really enjoy it. There are other books, great for evangelism. They're yours. Stay online. We'll go to Stephen, Golden Valley, Arizona. Hi, welcome. Hi, thanks for taking my call. So, hi, thanks for taking my call. So, I, my question revolves around, um, you, you guys recently, uh, a lot recently, have been talking about the idea that, you know, someone, you know, it's not once saved, always saved, that, you know, you you know, you, you get your salvation and that you can't have it taken from you, but you can walk away from it. And my question was, how, what would that look like? What would someone have to do to 
blot themselves out of the book of life? How would somebody walk away from that? Well, Jesus said it like this, because sin abounds, the love of many wax cold. Paul wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 4 concerning a man that he was bragging about in 1 Timothy, Demas. He said in chapter 4 of 2 Timothy, Demas, having loved this present world, has departed. And if you look at it in the original language, it meant he left God, and it ain't good. And as we had a call yesterday about this, where John in 1 John chapter 5 says, don't pray about somebody who is in a sin leading to death. It is interesting that Paul, when he writes concerning Demas, now, brothers and sisters, I all want you to start praying for Demas because, you know, he's really went back into the world and we know God's going to bring him back. We just need more prayer. He doesn't say a word. He says, having loved this present world has departed. Now, that doesn't mean a person can't come back. The prodigal son is an amazing story. But remember this, if the prodigal son would have died in the pigsty, he would have been in the pigsty. And this is something that people fail to understand. We're all going to die someday. We're all going to end up eternally somewhere. And the Bible says we need to be very, very careful of this. That's why Jesus said, watch, be ready. You don't know what hour your Lord's going to come. And again, this is what the whole book of Jude is about. Now, it says he was able to keep you from falling at the end of the chapter. The rest of the chapter explains, are you willing to let Jesus keep you from falling? That's what it's about. And that's a decision. That's faith. Not works. That's what faith is, that we faith every day in our relationship with God. And again, whatever is not faith is sin. Now, this is why, again, the father saw him a long way off. And I believe, friends, this is so important. Your thoughts, Jeff? Yeah, I would say, Stephen, that I think most people that walk away from the faith, it's a slow drift. Uh, Usually a little compromise here, a little compromise there. Uh, very rarely do you see somebody just wake up one day for, you know, just out of the blue and say, you know, I, I'm no longer a Christian. I, I just, I'm, I'm done. It's usually a slow drift. And, uh, you know, they, they get involved in some little sin here and there. They get out of the word. They get out of prayer. Uh, maybe they get offended. You know, offense, uh, so many times is involved in somebody leaving the faith, offense with the church offense with church leadership or offense with a Christian brother or sister, something offends them. They stumble over that offense and, uh, it, it just, uh, and they don't forgive. They, they're, they don't know how to handle it. They, they don't handle the offense biblically and the offense plays a part in also, uh, causing them to walk away from the faith. They finally conclude, well, I'm just not, uh, I'm just not the Christian that I was anymore. But I think if you were to talk to most people that have walked away from the faith, they would say it took place over a period of time. You know, the, the popular word out there these days is deconstructionism, uh, where they start reassessing what they always felt they believed or what they were raised to believe. They start reassessing all of those things as they get older and decide they don't believe it, and uh, they walk away. So I think it's usually a slow drift. And it's a very dangerous drift, Mike. Amen. Amen. That's why as uh, we find the letter to the letters uh, in Revelation chapters 2 and 3 of Jesus calling the church to repent. So important in those things. 
Stay on the line, Steve. We'll send you out books, DVDs. We're all out of time. Terry, great question tomorrow. I want to talk about that if you'll call back. And John, thanks. God bless you all. Thanks, Jeff. Good night. Copy of today's program. Please call 1-800-357-4226 or write us to Every Man and Answer, P.O. Box 391, Twin Falls, Idaho 83303. That toll-free number is 1-800-357-4226. Subscribe to the free podcast on iTunes by searching for To Every Man and Answer in the iTunes store or visit us online at csnradio.com slash TEMA. To Every Man and Answer is a production of CSN International, the Christian Satellite Network. The opinions expressed by our guests may or may not be those of CSN International or of this station. 